Food and fun, so good to hear about that. And with respect to food, the Bible is full of accounts of God feeding people. It happens again and again and again. And it's an interesting question that whether Christianity primarily focuses on fasting or on feasting. I'll let you think about that. And uh, so imagine we've had an invitation to have dinner with God. You have had that invitation, actually. That is the invitation of the gospel that goes out into all the world. And um, I don't know what you think about that. My younger daughter works a couple, one or two shifts, night shifts a week at University College Hospital London in the maternity unit where she's a midwife. And so one day she was there when Carrie Johnson had given birth and Boris Johnson walked past her in the corridor. And she's, she's a very confident girl, but she was flustered. She said she couldn't think of anything to say. She couldn't even manage hello, right? And uh, so whatever you think of Boris, he's the prime minister and that kind of can fluster us. So imagine you're going to eat with God, right? I mean, it's not a very good illustration, I don't think, but <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you, have you RSVP'd to God's invitation to dinner? Have you thought about how ready you are to meet with God? What are you going to wear? What are you going to take? Is a bottle of wine that going to work? How ready are you to come to his house? How ready are you to sit down with God at his table and make conversation? What do you think he might ask you? If you read the Bible, you know God is always asking questions of people. And how ready are we to welcome all the other children at the table? Will you be glad that they're there too? So as as, has already been trailed, we're talking about devoted to breaking bread. What's commonly called communion or Eucharist, which is the next slide. Um, it's part of the rhythm of Christian life, and those who follow Jesus get to eat with God often. Now, Scripture also calls these dinners like a love feast, uh, gathering around the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, various kind of sort of phrases like this. And I, I want to ask this question as we kind of continue with this. Why would anybody bother with this quaint, slightly odd practice? I mean, it is a bit odd, isn't it? I mean, I think Christians can often feel embarrassed about it. The repetition of communion seems like a barrier to those who don't share our faith. Perhaps a practice best hidden, kept to secret meetings or done only very, very occasionally. And maybe we even think that if we didn't bother with sharing communion, nothing much would be lost. You might actually think that. And as I've looked into this in recent months, I kind of realised, hey, that's really what I think. And I've found myself deeply challenged. So why are we looking at this on a Sunday? Shouldn't we just keep quiet about it? We don't want to put people off Christianity by talking about communion. Well, it's in the Bible that the early Christians were devoted to breaking bread. And God caused them to have thousands of people join them in the church. So clearly it's not a barrier. So what is it that we don't see that they did see? What is it we don't get that they did get? I don't know, I have all the answers, but let's look at a few things, okay? It's part of our series of Sundays on the rhythms of Christian community in in mission. Uh, And um, and, and in Acts 2.42, 
which is just one of the verses in Acts which we're focusing on, four of those rhythms of the faith community are described. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which uh, Ellie led us in a couple of weeks ago. They devoted themselves to fellowship, which Dan spoke about last week. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Hey, today. And they devoted themselves to prayer, or Jack will be picking that up next Sunday, and then there's a series of others. So, um, I think when you think about being devoted to the apostles' teaching, there's a sort of obvious logic to that. You, you, you know, when I was first a Christian, I didn't know anything. I needed to find out about this, so I wanted to get lessons from somebody in the know. It's kind of self-evidently logical. Yeah, you agree? And so let's say my dog isn't very well behaved. I want, my dog, I want to take my dog to obedience training. I went along to the training. I learned a lot, but I couldn't get my dog to go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it takes a little while to sink in. I don't have a dog, in fact. But when we turn to devoted to breaking bread, it's all a bit mystifying. What does nibbling on a piece of leavened or unleavened bread do for me? How can drinking a sip of red wine or juice benefit at me? What is the point? To sum up, what benefit does this, ben this activity claim to bring, and how will this activity even bring that benefit? It seems strange. So whether you're only exploring Christianity or you are a follower of Jesus, a new follower or you've been following him for ages, just want you to invite you to have a little look at what Scripture says about sharing community, communion, breaking bread, gathering at the Lord's table, sharing the supper, these various expressions. And I want to argue that the supper is, is, is not a verbal proclamation, but it is an acted proclamation and experience of Christ and what he's done for humanity. And further, that the repetition of this simple practice does something in us who participate. It does transform us, provided we bring even a little faith to that practice and repetition. So maybe for the first time, you will put your faith in Christ today and come to God's table at his invitation to eat with him. Now, I was not brought up as a Christian. I, I was taken to church only twice in my childhood. There was no explanation why we went and no discussion afterwards about what going to church was about. Um, so I had some religious education at school, but I was quite antagonistic to it, so I'm not sure I really took it on board. When I was 18, I met some real Christians whose lives impressed me enough. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but they won a hearing for the Christian message, the gospel. It's a story for another day, but I responded to that message and started to follow Jesus. And so I just assumed that as a follower of Jesus, I should go to church. So I started visiting all the churches in that town near, near where I lived, a town called Godalming in Surrey. And yes, they have a Chinese there called the Golden Ming. In, in Godalming. And uh, eventually I settled on Queen Street Baptist Church in Godalming, where I joined the youth group and attended the Sunday evening services. And so it was that I had my first communion. I knew nothing. They had large plates on which were small cubes of sliced white bread. They had sort of purpose built trays with little glass cups, like shot glasses, but smaller, with, with red juice in. And uh, and I had never attended anything like this, okay? So I'm there, I know I'm a Christian, I know this is for me. I was nervous, I felt very solemn. I think I thought I should feel really, really solemn. And I was a newbie and I did not want to get anything wrong. You know that feeling? 
Um, and they'd some, said something about all participating together. So when the plate came round with the little cubes of sliced white bread, I took my cube and thought, I've got to wait to all participate together. And then I noticed they'd all eaten their bread straight away. And oh, I need to get on and eat it, you know, because otherwise, you know, I'm going to stick out. Everyone's looking at me. Because you know you always feel like that, don't you? When you're a newbie, you think everyone is looking at you. Probably nobody was. So I thought, better get, to, get it in the mouth. And I fumbled and I dropped Jesus. So he bounced away. <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, I was in a cold sweat. And. Uh, so um, the chapel was full. I couldn't possibly start crawling around under the pews, which they had looking for my cube of bread. So I never got to eat Jesus that day. I only got to drink his blood. So, um, but here's some questions. Did I drop Jesus? Right. Did I drink his blood? Where did, I, where did I even get those ideas? I hadn't been brought up in church or anything. Um, and why was this? Because this thing happened, the evening service happened, and then this was tagged on to the end. It was about 10 minutes. It was very solemn, and it just felt pretty odd. And religious practices can be dreary, deadly, suffocating, and empty. Hands up if you know that that is true, right? It, they really can be. And, um, but I suggest that life comes through practices that God commands if and as we bring change thinking, which is repentance, and expectation, which is faith. And that at that expectancy needs to be focused on what God says is happening when we obey his commands, and particularly the command to break bread. So what has God commanded about the supper? Well, he instructed his followers to share this supper and to go on repeating it. And it's recorded, there are four Gospels in the New Testament, only three of them record this instruction. So in Matthew 26, we read here, now as they were eating, this was the Passover meal, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. So just as an aside here, you see they already had a meal. This wasn't the, this wasn't the actual meal, it was a sort of symbolic meal. Are you hearing what I'm saying there? So he took the bread and after blessing it or giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I, even this little description here shows the gospel shape of communion. What do I mean by that? Well, it's because God, Jesus invites us to come to him and he says, he, he was the one who, he, it's his table, he's the one who gives thanks, he took the cup. He said, take, he said, eat, he said, drink. All we do is come and respond to what he does. That's the gospel. God has done something and we respond to it. And this tells us that, um, that that's our calling. Now, I wonder, though, what view of the supper of communion you have inherited. Because, you see, I had never gone to church, bar that two times, and yet, as an 18-year-old, I had an idea of what it was about. Where did I get that idea? I don't know. TV shows, films, I guess. Something had filtered in, or just general knowledge, or reading books. I have no idea where I got those ideas. Um, but I thought that the bread was Christ's flesh and the grape juice was Christ's blood. So in church history, just a quick little look at this, four understandings of the supper, each differing on the nature of Christ's presence and the elements 
you can identify. It's a big, simplifica big simplification. But one, the first one, the bread and wine, are the physical body and blood of Christ. The bread and wine contain the physical body and blood of Christ. The bread and wine contain spiritually the body and blood of Christ. And the bread and wine only represent the body and blood of Christ. They're just symbols, yeah? So, and this again is a gross simplification, but these are associated with four uh, major proponents of these views, which is on the next slide, Gaz. So the, the first one is the position of the Roman Catholic Church. The second is Martin Luther. The third is John Calvin. The fourth is Huldrych Zwingli. These are three leaders in the Reformation. Now you're going to forget all this. That's fine. Um, but one of the great tragedies of the modern church is that we're so divided, not least over the meal, which is supposed to create and display our unity. Um, for myself, with respect to the first choice, I'm not able to subscribe to that Roman Catholic teaching. I just want to put that out there, but I do that in a friendly way. I have dear, dear friends, true Christians, who are Roman Catholics. I love them, and they love me, and uh, I thank God for many things about the Roman Catholic Church. But it's sad that they don't think when Protestants are breaking bread or sharing communion that it is a genuine um, religious thing, and they don't welcome us when they do. And I'm very sad about that, and I wish it wasn't like that, and I know my friends wish it wasn't like that. So, um, but as regards the other three options, I think all of those are credible and tenable, and that, that's fine. We could kind of go home, but let's, let's tease those out, because I want to draw faith from you for when you break bread, because I believe my faith has grown through looking into this, and I want you to have that opportunity as well. So the fourth view, that the elements are merely symbols, I think that's, that was what I thought. When I looked into it, I didn't think I thought that, but I realised actually that was how I treated the communion, uh, that, it was, that, that the, the elements are just symbols, they're just pointing to something else, uh, and, and that's all. And if you have that view, that, that's great, but I think that view can be deepened because actually symbols are much more powerful than, than we often realise. So the other weekend, uh, the Sunday, I unfurled my union flag. I thought I'd use it again as an illustration. If I was to fetch out this box of matches here, uh, we're being live streamed here, and then this will be available on YouTube, and imagine I was to strike my match. Let's see if they work. It's so long since I've done that. Oh, that's not going to work, is it? I might set off the fire alarm. Should we just do a quick risk assessment here and say I won't light the match, okay? But let's say I lit the match and I burned the union flag here, live streaming on YouTube, and that went viral, and let's say the Daily Mail picked it up. Don't you think this could have quite a lot of legs? It's just a symbol, but it would have an awful lot of meaning. Yeah? If I... Went for a walk this afternoon. We live quite near the River Eyre with Elspeth. And as we crossed the bridge over the River Eyre, I turned to her, took my wedding band, tore it off my finger and threw it in the river. Do you think that Elspeth might have any emotions about that? <laughs> it's just a bit of gold, right? Symbols are powerful things. So, so let us not underestimate and let us be changed, even if you take that simple interpretation of the presence of Christ, I suggest that can go a great deal deeper. Um, but I want to argue for something more profound, that there is a real presence of Christ 
in, in, in the bread and in the cup, all right? So let's just look at a few things, a few aspects. I think the supper is about remembrance. It says that, you know, do this in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus said. And if you think, I think I've always thought, oh, that just means recalling. I felt like I must try and conjure up images of the agony of Christ on the cross and conjure myself back there. And I, that, I think that can be a worthy thing to do sometimes. Um, but I'm not sure it's the main thing that the Bible invites us to do. I just throw that out there. Andrew Wilson, one of the Bible scholars in our movement, writes this. For Paul, communion, this is the Apostle Paul, the communion is not just a memorial or a symbol. It acts, bringing the church together with Christ and with one another. We are one, he explains, because we all share in one bread. We share a loaf of unity and a cup of blessing. As we do so, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We actually participate in the body and blood of Christ. True remembrance in biblical terms is not just to remember it, it's to actually become joined to that, to become a participant with it. To participate in, that, in the supper is to rehearse that whole story which brought us into the knowledge of God. It's to create and reinforce that story in our lives. It's to, that we are anchored in the cross and the resurrection of Christ. We're being put back together in his new community, which is God's purpose. Reunited by Jesus with our Father. Reunited with other human beings and looking forward to the reunification of heaven and earth when Jesus returns. This is the story into which we're brought and which we're remembering. See, adverts are conditioning us to, uh, um, the, to an alternate story of self-realization, of consumption, promising us fulfillment without effort. If only we buy this or go there. Social media tells me I'm the good guy, the others are the baddies. But when we share the supper, we find out, no, the baddiness is in me as well. But there is a way of escape. There is a saviour. There is forgiveness. There is new life. The supper tells us, yes, there's death. There's a problem in the universe. But God has made a way so that where there is death, there can be life. It's a deeply powerful story that calls us back. So this um, supper also, it both creates and requires community. You know, sometimes people get hung up. With the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, we must discern the body. And we get hung up, oh, I'm looking at this. Can I, can I discern the blood of Jesus in this or whatever? I don't think that's the main focus that Paul has in that passage, if you read all of it. I think he's actually talking about thinking wrongly about the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters, the people around us. The apostle believes that our union with other members, uh, with one another as members of one body is so real that broken relations among us, whether contempt, rejection, withdrawal, they're akin to tearing their body apart limb from limb, actions that will incur injury and even death. It's interesting that Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 gives no instructions about the exact form of words to be used when we break bread, nor about what elements should be used, nor about frequency. He really doesn't answer any of the questions we feel are really pressing. The only thing he calls them out for is their relational breakdowns. That tells us something. That's important to the Holy Spirit. It's important to God. 
How about recovering that notion that when we eat together, we are bound together. The supper reminds us that in Christ we're all equal and interdependent. That call to reconciliation and mutual forgiveness is central to the supper. It's just as central as the reminder that through his atoning sacrifice, God created a way for us to know God's forgiveness and to be adopted into his family forever. When we gather at the Lord's table, broken relationships become unbearable if we're truly gathering around a holy father. It's the Lord's table. To get into God's house so we can sit at his table, there are things you need to leave at the door. Better still, renounce altogether. Enmity, gossip, slander, mockery, negativity, factions, pride, comparison, lust, greed, the list goes on. The confession of sin that we make when we gather at the table is practice at humility, at letting these things go. Practice that carries across the whole of our lives, I think God wishes. At the table, we gather with those we don't like, those we don't much care about, people whose politics or manner we recall from. We gather with those who've let us down, even hurt us. The scars on the resurrected Jesus. You know, it tells us in the Bible that the Lamb of God in heaven carries the scars of the crucifixion. Those scars tell us that we will also carry into the new heavens and earth the scars that people have put on us, the misuse that we've experienced. But the supper tells us they're all forgivable, invites us to receive the spirit of forgiveness and to let go. Because in the words of the Lord's Prayer, we have to pray, Father, for, 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 forgive them. You know, sorry, I'm forgetting the bit, isn't it? Um, remind me, how does it go? I'm suddenly gone blank. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The supper reminds us of these things and it deeply challenges us to a different attitude. I've negotiated, by the way, for Treehouse to go on till 10 past 12. Okay? So, relax. <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about is how annoyingly physical the Lord's Supper is. It affirms the material world. I don't know about you, but I think oftentimes I've been a bit annoyed. I want to be just me and God, eyes closed, doing my thing with God. And there's all this stuff about going out to fetch something and it all seems a bit clumsy and we get in a muddle. What did they say from the front? I've forgotten. Churches like ours do it differently every time. You have to listen so carefully. And I, I kind of zoned out for a moment. I missed what I was being asked. Does this ever happen to anybody else? And I just feel... You know, but there's something wonderful about a meal. meal. Meals have to be prepared. I know these take minimum preparation, but even somebody had to prepare this. And afterwards, there's clearing up. There's rubbish to be thrown away. There's washing up. Meal, meals have these contents, and you know God hallows these things. The supper tells us these things are all part of following God. The resurrection we look forward to is a physical resurrection. The material universe is not bad. We're not trying to escape it. God is going to restore us and resurrect us like his son Jesus with physical bodies. The Bible scholar 
Brunner, in his commentary on Matthew, talks about Christ's statement, this is my body. And he says, Jesus could have said, this is my love, or this is my spirit, or this is my presence. And all of these would have been true enough. But he wanted this major means of communication, communion, to get physical, to be with us as earthly as possible, to show us how important his body and our bodies are, to dignify the material. And so he said, this is my body. I think in our Western culture we privilege like teaching because it addresses our minds. But the communion, it includes our bodies. We need to welcome that, to understand that's good. So um, the supper's to do with Christ's presence. I do believe that he is present as we break bread. I'm not saying he's actually in these items. Maybe he is. I just want to believe the word of God, that he says, this is my body, take and eat. I want to hear that it's this is my body as well, that it's something we do together. So it's not, in a sense, something ideally done on your own. If someone is sick and cannot come out, then yes, it's good to break bread with them, with a couple of people, but it's something we do together. And so I think we have to insist that through the sacrament, as we often call it, we're actually united with the very Son of God in his glorified humanity. And all this is accomplished through the Holy Spirit. In the bread and the wine of the sacrifice, we receive and share in the living Christ. However that's explained or unexplained is secondary to just believing, receive God. Because I think sometimes as Protestants, we believe in the real absence of God when we break bread. And that's crazy. We're robbing ourselves of something Jesus gave us. So if we... um, I want to quote from John chapter 6. John's gospel doesn't actually institute the Lord's Supper, but it was one of the very later gospels to be written. And the gospels in the New Testament were all written after the letters. So the church had been breaking bread for years when John was writing his gospel. And I feel sure that when he recalled the teaching of Jesus here in chapter 6, to me it feels certain he surely must have realized that Christians would hear this as talk about a theology of breaking bread. You may feel differently, and that's fine, but I commend that to you, and we'll, we'll read this. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, the Israelite people, ate the manna in the wilderness. You'd need to read the Old Testament to understand that, but it was food that God gave in the wilderness. Yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. 
that whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now you can just spiritualize that and say it's talking about having faith in Jesus. It's turning in your heart to have faith in Jesus. Yeah, but you have to do that. Please God do that. But I believe he's given us a very material, physical way of actually feeding physically and receiving Christ and assuring our bodies, not just our minds, that he has been given to us, that he is willing to come right inside of us with all that he is, righteousness and peace and joy, faith, hope and love and his life. As a Christian in this church, I have so much faith to meet with God when I'm singing the wonderful songs we sing. I feel God's presence in that. I love to hear my brothers and sisters preaching. I hear God and receive life when they do that, Sunday by Sunday. But I've realized that my faith has gone up really a lot the last few weeks as I looked into this, to meet with God when I share the bread and the cup. I want to call you to that faith that you would believe that. So we'll turn now to breaking bread together. <clears throat>